listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so very much for spending some time. I'll just start with a quick personal story. I spent 90 minutes in the dentist chair this morning, which is not a delightful way to start your day. It was it was fine. It was just fine. Having one of those procedures done that mark a certain progression in your life, having a crown put on. By the way, if I'm slurring, I'm still half sort of frozen on the left side. This is the kind of thing that you remind, like, this is the sort of thing that old people get. This, But what I wanted to talk about really briefly is if you are fortunate enough to have benefits, which I am, it's so helpful. And for this particular thing, you had to apply said to the insurer, okay, can I get this? And I get a note back from the insurer, and it says the following. Mr. Carter, you are 100% covered for this procedure, but you have a 50% copay. So that means you know, I have to pay 50% of it. And I, it, it's, as far as I can tell, that is not 100% covered. I'll just leave that there. I want to talk about some developments in provincial politics very quickly. Jenny Byrne, this is news just coming out this morning from the Globe and Mail. Jenny Byrne, the former top federal conservative staffer and advisor to the premier, Doug Ford, has now left her high-paid appointment to the Ontario Energy Board after only eight months. You may recall that this raised some eyebrows amongst a flurry of patronage appointments for Ford staffers and insiders. The two-year term that Ms. Byrne got for being on the board, the Ontario Energy Board, was $197,000. My time at the OEB was interesting, but I've decided to leave and pursue other opportunities, Ms. Byrne said in a statement to the Globe and Mail. And I mention this because there has been a change, of course, within the Premier's office. You may have noticed it. It's behind the scenes, and it's a slightly kinder, gentler Doug Ford government going forward. At least that's what it's attempting to portray. For example, how's about this one? Ontario says it's come up with half the funding required to build the province's first French-language university. Wait a minute. Didn't we cancel that? Didn't we say we didn't have enough money for that? The progressive conservatives are now asking Ottawa to contribute the other half of the $126 million needed to complete the project. The initial cost of the project was $83 million. The Tories scrapped their project in November as part of their effort to balance the books, a move that sparked outrage and protests amongst Franco-Ontarians. And you may recall they lost an MPP. Amanda Simard crossed the floor. She sits as an independent now. And when the House returns, she sits in the back corner. Her and Jim Wilson and all the rest of the rejects. And I use that term, all-star rejects, maybe. So, what was that all about? Sorry, here's half the money. Amanda, won't you come on home? Kinder, gentler, Doug Ford administration. And the face of finance, 
now in this province, you may know, has changed. The new finance minister is Rod Phillips. And he today announced, as you heard in the news, that you soon will be able to have a paperless pink slip. This is a pilot project, and it's going to be in with a year. Pardon me, it is not a pilot project. It's just going to take a phase-in time. And you'll be able to just wheel out the old smartphone and say, See, officer, right here. Boom. And it was a kinder, gentler kind of announcement. Later on in the program, the manager of government relations for the CAA is going to join me to talk about what he thinks about this idea. But then we still have the stickers. I love stickers. Some people like the stickers. Some people don't like the stickers. The people who don't like the stickers include the civil liberties people. Michael Bryant on the program or on the radio station a little bit earlier today to talk about the fact that they're saying that this is illegal and they're going to get a lawsuit in there and have it thrown out. This is an unproven lawsuit from the Canadian Civil Liberties Association that says the Federal Carbon Trax- Tax Transparency Act, which is really just all about stickers. I hate this sticker. That it violates free speech provisions of the Constitution. Well, Michael Bryant, I'm sure you must have a whole bunch of gas stations just lined up. Gas station owners saying, we hate these stickers. Get rid of these stickers. Right, Michael? When we tried to get a gas station to come forward and join us uh, in the litigation, um, they wouldn't agree to it. They would typically, some of them would say, as we've filed in our evidence, um, look, we agree with you, but I I just can't... uh, do this because head office uh, wouldn't want us fighting the government on this one. I love stickers. Okay, so head office doesn't want us, we don't like the stickers, but head office says no. What else do you have to say about this, Michael Bryant? That it's government using their legal power to force someone to adopt a, a message of the government. And that's what we say is wrong and unconstitutional. People should have the freedom to either adopt a a political message from the government or not. That is Michael Bryant talking about the lawsuit to try and get rid of those stickers. I'm indifferent to him. I think that's where most people are really on the spectrum. Really? This is what we got to talk about? Stickers? Still with the stickers? I have pot news times three here, if I can find all of my various pot notes. You know, poor memory and all. Uh Uh-huh. This one is quite scary to begin with. Health Canada says that people who vape should get medical attention right away if they're worried that their electronic cigarettes are harming them. There is something going on south of the border right now, and we just don't know exactly what it is. Kids are showing up in hospitals. A lot of them are lying about whether or not they're using vape machines, and they don't know what it is. The federal department says there's no sign in Canada of the affliction that has uh, hit 25 American states, and it seems to be linked to vaping. People have reported respiratory gastric gastric problems. One has died. Symptoms include coughing, shortness of breath, chest pain, fevers, all of this. And it is possible 
that there is a connection to e-cigarettes or vape pens that consume cannabis-derived products. I, if you're surprised by this, this is really a huge tr- uh, ch- trend, pardon me, in the consumption of cannabis. This is where the Ontario Cannabis Store and the legalization market is far behind what the public wants. The public doesn't want to burn things anymore, so now everybody's going to vaping. And if you're going to vape your nicotine, then you're going to vape your cannabis, too. The difficulty is that it's illegal, so people don't want to talk about it. And now we have this situation, and we don't know, we just simply don't know what what's causing it. Pot Story Times 2. In Victoria, one of Canada's oldest fall fairs is creating a buzz with its decision to award a prize for the best homegrown marijuana. Bud Smith. Yeah, that's the guy's name. Bud. He's the vice president of the Cowichan Exhibition on Vancouver Island and says organizers decided to launch a best cannabis category to embrace legalization and to celebrate their local pot growers. Pot. And the third story comes from the University of Guelph. I don't know if you saw this one yesterday. It came out from the Canadian press. Turns out that now that the University of Guelph is offering an online pot growing course. Now, they already have like a real deal where you go in and you figure out actually how to do this because there's a science to it. And, you know, there are big companies in this country who are buying or rather growing pot on a industrial scale. Some of them with hidden grow rooms. I'm looking at you, can trust. But you can pay just a little bit more than 500 bucks, about 550 bucks for an online course. You do not actually have to leave the couch. Don't even worry about dusting the Doritos off. You just sit there and you watch the thing, and I guess you learn how to grow the pot. And then you move to Couch and Island, you win yourself an award, and you're away to the races. Is the Loch Ness Monster a shark, a giant catfish, a sturgeon? No, it is a giant eel, or at least it could be, according to a study published today. There is a very significant amount of eel DNA, says a professor and geneticist at the University of New Zealand, said after a year-long study of the lake, tales of the giant creature lurking beneath the murky waves of Loch Ness in Scotland have been around for more than 1,500 years, fueled by occasional sightings of the so-called Nessie. Now, the professors have found no evidence of a monster reptile, but... They did find all kinds of evidence of a DNA sequence data that indicates it was not a shark, not a catfish, not a sturgeon. Possibly, though... Alligators! That's right. Maybe it's just a big alligator. Who can tell? 
One of the big news stories making news today, of course, it comes from Rod Phillips, the finance minister in this province, who today announced that Ontario drivers will soon be able to carry electronic proof of their auto insurance on their smartphones or other devices. The minister saying that the pink paper insurance slip is not yet being eliminated, but being able to display the information on a phone can save drivers that rummaging through the glove compartment. You know it, I know it. And then you pull the thing out, and of course it's expired because you forgot to put the new one in. It happens all the times. Time here is the minister talking this morning. There will be a one-year phase-in period for these new electronic cards. During that time, insurers will continue to issue paper versions of the traditional pink slip, as well as electronic versions for customers that request that option. That is the Finance Minister of Ontario, Rod Phillips, speaking this morning. Drivers will be responsible for making sure their phone can display the proof of insurance, even with a poor signal, drained battery, or damaged screen. Honest officer, I have insurance. It's just that my phone's dead. The Insurance Bureau of Canada says consumers have digital options in other sectors, such as banking and retail. So auto insurers are pleased that customers will soon have the same choice. Elliot Silverstein is the manager of government relations for the CAA and joins me on the line. Hi, Elliot. Hi, good afternoon. You like this idea? It's a great step forward for Ontarians. It gives them a lot of options if they want to have that digital profile. Does it come with any potential dangers or worries for you? You know, I think moving forward, I mean, because there's been a number of provinces that have already moved forward with this, and this is uh, something that is in place in a number of uh, U.S. states, um, you know, there are some best practices to work from. I think that what it, it really is in terms of the announcement today is it's a phase-in. So it, it really is by choice. So in, auto insurers are now going to have the opportunity to build this out, and that for people who want to have this, they're going to be able to have it on their phones, but there's still that one-year phase-in period where they're still going to have to keep their paper copy handy. So it isn't, uh, you know, the flick of a switch and everything is done today, but it is more of an evolutionary process. Do you see a, a point when we don't actually have to have a physical driver's license on us? You know, it's very possible. I think, you know, right now what we're seeing is a lot of the steps forward towards uh, digitization as well as modernization around auto insurance. And the two combined, you know, it may move towards those formats. I think this is an important step forward in that entire discussion. And I think, uh, you know, from what we've seen from a lot of our research is that people are excited for these types of options. Whether people will actually take it upon themselves to, uh, to actually put it on their phones, that remains to be seen. How does that integrate then with the insurers? I mean, I know that's not your particular bellywick as you're with CAA and not the insurers, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that there's gonna have to be some coordination between government and insurers to make sure that this is secure. So there are going to be a number of pieces that are that are put together for auto insurers. So this has been uh, re- this has received approval. And there are going to be parameters that they have to follow through on. So, for example, it will be required that uh, you'll you'll have to see the uh, the electronic pink slip um, on the on the main screen of your of your phone. So you won't have to necessarily open your phone and unlock it to have access to it. So there will be certain criteria 
that, that will be in place. And each insurance company uh, will obviously um, roll this out based on uh, how their systems work. So you're not going to see every insurance company coming out on day one or on day two with this, but we'll see in the weeks and months to come different insurance companies being able to um, integrate this into their existing system. So for those who are interested, obviously my my uh, my, my caution to them would uh, to be you know be patient, but uh, ask your insurance companies if this is coming and when it may be coming. Elliot Silverstein is Manager of Government Relations for CAA. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. Anybody got a hunger on? You getting any lunch in you? Maybe a chicken sandwich? You enjoy the chicken? Hmm. Tastes like chicken. You know, people have been counting down the days before Chick-fil-A opens its doors in Toronto. But things have taken something of a turn after a video posted on social media on Wednesday showed a Chick-fil-A Toronto mouse sighting. The chain's first Canadian location opens Friday. That's tomorrow, peeps. And a user from Instagram shared these videos of the furry intruder, which was spotted inside the soon-to-open Young and Bloor location in downtown Toronto. In the video, you can clearly see the mouse scurrying around the restaurant before hiding underneath a window ledge. Tastes like chicken. But it's not the mouse that's the problem. There's going to be protests. And Mark Carcassol is a global news reporter who's covering this in advance of the big opening. What are we expecting to happen tomorrow when this thing actually goes live, Mark? Yeah, Alan, uh, this Chick-fil-A location uh, on Young, just a little bit south of Bloor, opens tomorrow as of 10 a.m. And you're right, there is a protest planned. Uh, it seems as though protests will gather, protesters rather, will gather around 9.30 or so, and they'll be here right outside the location just in time for it to open. The whole protest is being organized by the 519, which is a well-known uh, LGBTQ advocacy group uh, in the gay village. Uh, basically, what they are asking of people is to boycott Chick-fil-A because of the personal beliefs of the family that owns it, the Kathy family. They have been, since 2012, uh, fairly open in multiple interviews in talking about how they believe in the traditional definition of marriage, marriage between a woman and a man, uh, and not between two people of the same sex. The restaurant itself serves and hires, and they say welcomes people of all sexual orientations and genders, uh, but the owners have been very clear, and they have a, a devout Baptist upbringing, that they believe in the traditional definition of marriage. They've also uh, donated money to groups that some would consider anti-gay, many groups that share that same sentiment on same-sex marriage. And that's why, despite the fact that this is a restaurant that has thrived throughout the U.S. and is now moving to Canada uh, with its first full store here tomorrow on Young Street, um, there are people saying that People need to boycott this place because it doesn't represent Canadian values, essentially. And I understand there's actually going to be a, a, a separate element of a protest of, of animal rights. People are also upset about the chickens? That's right. It's, so the protest is organized by the 519, and that seems to be the, the larger focus of the protest here is, is the, the same-sex marriage issue. But uh, joining it will be Liberation TO, which is a well-known animal rights advocacy group. They will also be here uh, because they say that, you know, uh, this is essentially being that everything they serve here on this menu is, you know, a chicken product um, that, uh, you know, there's animal cruelty represented here too. And so that's that's sort of the, the second portion of the protest. They'll be representing themselves here as well. I love a second portion. 
Uh, Outrageous! <laughs> um, what has been the response of uh, the the actual organization? Can you can you get a hold of them? Have you been able to actually get a comment from the chicken people? It's it's been tough. Uh, I mean, this is a story that we've sort of been looking ahead to for the last couple of weeks when we started hearing rumblings that people might be protesting and people might be feeling away about this. Uh, and we haven't, up until this morning, heard anything from Chick-fil-A itself. Now, I did speak to a company um, representative uh, who didn't want to be recorded, didn't want to do anything on camera, but their stance is, listen, this company has been around forever. And, yes, while our owner does have those views, again, we welcome and serve and hire uh, anyone of every sexual orientation, every preference, every gender. And basically what they say is, you know, we encourage people to come out to the store and see for yourselves how you're treated and see for yourselves what you think of the product. So it seems as though the people on the ground working in the restaurants are trying to distance themselves from the feelings of the owners, but that's not an easy thing to do. Mark Carcassol is a global news reporter who is looking into this Chick-fil-A story. It opens tomorrow, and you can watch his story on what to expect tomorrow when that story goes live tonight on Global News at 5.30 and 6. Mark, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you. Interesting, interesting questions raised there. It, can you buy a chicken sandwich or whatever it is that they serve at this place. Yeah, can, I'm just assuming there's chicken or mice. I don't know. Uh, do you have to have social beliefs line up with the owner of the store? And does that like does that apply to when you go and get a euro? Right? You're gonna go and what are you gonna ask the guy? Like, what's your what's your feelings on same sex marriage? before I get this euro. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I understand the concept of, you know, money actually being funneled from the profits of this restaurant to organizations that, that you know, LGBTQ activists are opposed to and say that, you know, that, that that's a problem. And I understand that. But as a guy who was raised Baptist... I was raised Baptist, so I'll just tell you this thing. This is my favorite joke of all time, uh, is that you just say whatever. You know why Baptists, like for example, you know why Baptists don't approve of same-sex marriage? Well, it might lead to dancing. Aha! 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 Straight ahead, an update on Jugmeet Singh's terrible, no good, bad day on Tuesday with that mass defection in New Brunswick and now new revelations and new accusations and all kinds of nastiness flying back and forth between Elizabeth May and Jugmeet Singh. And Jugmeet Singh asked point blank, do you think racism, do you think race, do you think religion? is going to play a role in the upcoming federal election. His answer to that question is coming right up. But first, some of the major stories developing today. The toxic divide over Brexit has now cost British Prime Minister Boris Johnson another member of his government. His own brother 
Joe Johnson quitting as education minister and stepping down from Parliament saying, quote, he is torn between family loyalty and the national interest. The younger Johnson opposed leaving the EU in the 2016 referendum and later said the country should not leave without a divorce deal. Here's more on Brexit. Downing Street says Johnson is seeking the public's support for his bid to hold a general election in the coming weeks and is expected to speak directly to the people later. The snap poll decision, though, is a risky one. Johnson may want to shake up Parliament to produce a less obstructive crop of lawmakers, but opinion polls do not point to a certain majority for Johnson's Conservatives. Opposition parties, deeply mistrustful of the Prime Minister, are refusing to back a new election until the anti-no- bill becomes law. Charles de la Desma, London. More than 200,000 homes and businesses are without power as Hurricane Dorian churns slowly northward along the U.S. East Coast. Most of the outages are in coastal South Carolina, the rest in Georgia. Officials now say the Category 3 hurricane will knock out power to about 700,000 customers throughout the Carolinas. The storm has left at least 20 people dead as it devastated the Bahamas earlier this week. Residents of Charleston, South Carolina, are now bracing for the full impact of Hurricane Dorian. As the wind and rain pound these streets to power out, Martha, her siblings, and their dad are out clearing storm drains to try to prevent flooding here in Charleston's downtown district. There could definitely be a lot more flooding. I think the storm surge is going to get pretty high around 2. That's when high tide hits this area. All of the locals are worried about high tide with the storm surge coming in. Alex Stone, ABC News, Charleston. Health Canada says people who vape should get medical attention right away if they are worried about their electronic cigarettes harming them. The federal department says there is no sign at this point that this affliction that has targeted as as many as 25 American states, it's popped up in 25 American states, no indication it's here in Canada, but the agency is monitoring the situation. Americans have reported respiratory, gastric problems, symptoms involving coughing, shortness of breath, chest pain. There is a possible connection to using e-cigarettes or vape pens to consume cannabis-derived products, but neither U.S. nor Canadian authorities are certain that that indeed is the cause. Turning to federal politics, as promised, new Democrat leader Jagmeet Singh has now accused the Green Party leader Elizabeth May of misinformation, claiming that reports of 14 former NDP candidates in New Brunswick defecting to join the Green Party are simply incorrect. Speaking this morning, Singh accused May and her party of putting out false statements, indicating that some of the 14 reported defectors are still supporting him. However, he declined to identify how many individuals had actually left. This isn't the first time that the Green Party's released information that's inaccurate, and they've held it out to be true, and it turns out that it's not actually the story or not actually the way it is. Uh, but again, I think this is a lot, uh, this is, continues the trend that there's a lot of questions that Ms. May has to answer for that, on top of some of the uh, troubling remarks that some of the folks have made about race and about identity. Um, these are things that Ms. Mays have to answer to. What he's talking about race and identity, Jonathan Richardson is the federal NDP's executive member for Atlanta, Canada. At least he was. He traveled around the province to meet members, and what he said is, quote, the racism card came up a lot, especially in northern parts of the province. He said, Richardson, 
that potential NDP candidates were hesitant to run in New Brunswick because they thought the electorate would not vote for a party whose leader wore a turban. Quote, that was probably a major reason that they felt people wouldn't want to vote for them because that would hold them back. Bob Richardson is senior counsel at National Public Relations and joins me on the line. Hi, Bob. Good good afternoon, Alan. Let's talk plainly. Is race and is religion going to be a major factor in this upcoming campaign? I don't think it'll be a major factor. It will be a minor factor. Uh, I was chief of staff to a leader 25 years ago who was the first woman to lead a political party in Ontario, and gender was a factor. It wasn't the determining factor in the election. I think this is uh, the first time we've had a... uh, a leader of color uh, and uh, and uh, a sick as uh, as leader of a of a political party. Uh, will it be a an overriding issue? No, but I think there with a percentage of the electorate, yes, it will be. Bob, I want to play this response from Mr. Singh to this direct question, and you'll hear the question here: the question about whether or not race and religion will play a factor in the next election, and then your reaction to his response. Mr. Singh, is racism playing an element in your success in this election? Uh, You know, anytime I'm faced with questions about my success, I think about, um, you know, that's really not my concern. I got into this, uh, I got into politics or I got into leadership because I wanted to help out people. And I wasn't worried about my success or failure. I'm worried about the struggles that people face. Bobby, your assessment of that answer. I think it's a good uh, answer, and I think um, I think it, it, it's interesting. There seems to be two drug uh, uh, meat things. One was the Ontario uh, MPP. He was solid. He was a good member of the legislature. He was good on his feet in the legislature. Did good work on car insurance. Was deputy leader of the NDP. You know, was on lots of political panels. Seemed to really have it all together. Since he's been leader of the NDP at the federal level, however. They seem disorganized. They don't have candidates. They're not fundraising. Uh, he hasn't had a clear, coherent message. So, uh, you know, I think it's not so much about race. It's about job performance. He has performed well in the past. He has not been performing well as uh, leader of the NDP, although I think in fairness to Mr. Singh, he inherited a mess. Uh, but but nonetheless, uh, he hasn't been performing well. I think it has more to do with performance than it does with race or religion. You Do you think that the fact that Mr. Singh wears a turban is a barrier to him getting votes? I don't think so among most people. I think most Canadians are so over those sort of issues. You know, uh, as I said before, 25 years ago, was it a barrier for the woman I was working for at the time uh, to be the first Ontario political leader? Yeah, it was among some people, but it was a minor, you know, it was it was a minor, uh, you know, a minority. Will there be a group uh, in this election uh, that it's a problem for? Yes, but it'll be, again, a mi- minority what he needs to do is up his game. He needs to have his party in better shape. He needs to have a clearly articulated message, and he needs to get out there and articulate that me- message in a much more uh, comprehensive and vigorous fashion. That's what he needs to focus on. Bob Richardson is senior counsel at National Public Relations and a well-connected guy. You know everybody, my friend. <laughs> Here and there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate being on the program. Thanks, Alan. Cheers.
Welcome back to the program. If you have young kids in school, you know that packing a lunch in the morning, getting that lunch together, that is a challenge each and every day, especially as the kids get older and begin to exert their preferences and what they will and will not take. And then, especially, you got to worry about, well, you got to worry about all of the various allergies. You got to worry about the nuts. And then you got to worry about the plastics. There's a lot there. A lot to think about, a lot to juggle for parents, and to give us some helpful hints on how to get through it all, Andrea Donsky is a nutritionist and joins us on the line. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Alan. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much. Uh, did you bring any lunch? Uh, what, what you... <laughs> I'm going to have it right after we... <laughs> is it is it packed into individual Tupperware containers, reusable plastics? We seem to have lost, Andrea. Uh, I am here. Oh, there always, you are. Always in environmentally friendly containers because it, that's always, I mean, obviously you want to do good for the environment. So, yes. All right. Give me some hints here because I struggle with this. Uh, my son, who is 11, he loves nothing more than to make himself a Mr. Noodles and take that for lunch. And that's <laughs> it. And oh I think God. I'm just going to guess here. I'm not a nutritionist, nor do I play one on television. <laughs> But I think that's somewhat short of getting him all the nutrients he needs. You know, my kids love them, too. And my biggest issue with any of those, you know, prepared soups or instant soups is that they have ingredients that I absolutely just despise, like MSG, which is so not good for their brains, especially when they need to be in school. So, no, it does not provide all the nutrients. And it's harder when you have older kids. There's no question. When they're younger, you can control what they're eating a little bit better but as they get older, you kind of lose that control, and then they kind of go astray. I've got two kids in high school and one in elementary, so I could still at least provide some healthy nutrition for my younger one at this point. All right. Any advice here? Because I'm listening. My ears are wide, wide open here. <laughs> any, any advice for the kids, the older kids, on how to get them to eat healthy? Oh, gosh. You know what? It is a struggle. I will be completely honest. A struggle every single day, and I have the conversation with my kids all the time. So I think... The best thing, at least for my daughter, who now has entered, she just entered into grade nine, one of the things that she likes to do is take leftovers from the night before. So whatever we're having for dinner, pasta, soup, whatever it is, she'll take that in a thermos, we'll warm it up for her the morning of, and then she'll take that in a thermos. So really easy to do and convenient for parents who do want their kids to eat healthier when they're you know, in high school and a little bit older. And how much uh, emphasis are you putting on you know, you actually have to do it. Because I think as parents, sometimes we we do it for them longer than we really need to, don't we? We do. And, you know, that's such a great question and one that I struggle with all the time. So I, my son, who is now in grade 11, he will not make himself a lunch. It won't matter. And if, he, if he'll, go to, he'll go to school without a lunch, he'd rather buy something than make it himself. So I will make it for him whenever I can and if there's something that he'll eat at home. For my daughter who's in grade nine, again, she'll make herself lunches, but I will make it for her. So there's kind of that middle ground for her. But my older one, no. Unless, he, unless I do it for him, he will not do it. Let's talk specific foods. You got a superfood in there in the fridge that just it's magically everybody eats. You got some, some kind of magical kale that they'll all eat. <laughs> okay, so magical when it comes to, no. So all my kids like different things. But I think for superfoods, one of the best things that my kids, all of them agree on, is something like an RX bar. So a convenient snack. I keep it at the front, the front door. So when they're rushing out for school, especially my son, he absolutely loves them. So it's a bar that has egg whites so they've got you know 12 grams of protein in it really important for kids to get protein 
you know, whether it's in a smoothie, whether it's in a bar, because protein helps to wake up the brain. It also helps them focus better in school. So RX bar has 12 grams of protein. It has also dates, which is great for energy and brain function, and it has good fats because it has almonds and cashews. So I would say something like that. Keep something that you know they like that's convenient, portable, at the front, of, at the front door or in your fridge that they can grab and go. That would be some, one, definitely one of my go-tos. Andrew Donsky is a nutritionist and has been giving us some tips on packing healthy lunches. Make sure that those kids are eating what they should. It is always a challenge, and I always appreciate talking to other parents just to find out what works and what doesn't work. Thanks so much for being on the program, Andrea. Thank you so much. Well, one of the other things that you got to worry about, especially if you've got kids in uh, high school, is that sooner or later they're going to be in university. And hopefully, if they go to post-secondary, and then there is an issue of money. And, you know, it's funny, for many years, you know, after I finished university, I wasn't post-secondary anymore, you know, you, you looked at those news stories about how much does it cost to first-year tuition and all that sort of thing, and you'd think, well, that man, that's tough. And then you'd go back to your day. And then, you know, have young little kids, and you'd see the, you know, exponential rise in tuition costs. Man, that, that, that's not good. And now, now I read the stories by like, uh-oh, I better be socking away some cash because somebody's going to be coming to me with an open palm. Rubina Ahmed Huck from our 640 family, our Toronto personal finance expert, 640 Toronto personal finance experts on the line. Hi, Rubina. Hi, Alan. I'm terrified. I'm terrified <laughs> of my kids going to post-secondary. And especially now, as I look at this story, uh, and it's on Daily Hive News this morning about how much first year will cost when you add it all up. You know, it is expensive in a city like Toronto. And I do have to press this point that university has been expensive for decades. I mean, I remember even, uh, you know, as a student in the 90s that my first year cost me about $10,000 after tuition and uh, room and board. Um, But to go to school in a city like Toronto or Vancouver or even Montreal to some extent, you are not only paying those higher tuition costs, you're also paying for those higher living costs. So that's why, you know, this uh, story really rings true for, uh, you know, a lot of young people living in the city right now. I mean, the cost of just renting uh, could be tens of thousands of dollars. The average cost of a double dorm room with a meal plan in Toronto is $14,000. And that's reflective of the fact that this is just a very expensive city to live in. And if you want to be a student in the city, you're going to be dinged with those higher costs as well. Okay, here's a couple of things that I'm just going to pull out from this report here. One uh, is groceries, average cost of, with a with a residential meal plan, 320 bucks, but without, this is the more important one. Average cost without a residential meal plan, so I guess you're paying for yourself 1890 for the cost of the year. That, does, that seems not too bad, but here's the other one that, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, entertainment, partying, and dining out, twenty four eighty per eight month school, two thousand four hundred. Whoa, 
<laughs> I mean, that's where if you're, you know, if you're a student right now listening to AM640, because I know we have a lot of very keen young listeners who might be, you know, wanting to get some financial advice. But even if you are a parent of a young person who's just gone off to university, because this week, I believe, is frosh week, and then next week things get really serious, um, it's really important to press upon them that, especially if they're not working, uh, something that I now really recommend that you try to work part-time while you're going away to university. But if you aren't, you really got to keep an eye on those numbers. I mean, if you can't go out on Saturday night to an expensive bar in Toronto and compete with people who are getting full-time salaries and get things like bottle service and taxis and Ubers, because you just simply can't afford it. I mean, you really have to rethink how you're entertaining yourself and how much you're paying for those things um, if, you're a city, if you're a student, for example, in the, at the University of Toronto or at Ryerson, where you're right in the heart of downtown, and there's a lot of ways that you can spend your money uh, frivolously. 280 bucks for coffee, it says in this report. <laughs> 200 bucks for personal care. <laughs> I think that's annual, isn't it, the 200 bucks eight for months. coffee? For eight, eight months. 280 bucks for eight months. That's I mean, 280 bucks for coffee over eight months, that's, you know, not very, that's just like 20 bucks a month or something. It's not. The Folgers is not that expensive. Alan, Alan, please stop crying. (laughs) I do agree with you, though. If you can save money in the little ways, like taking your own coffee, make, if you don't have a meal plan and you're expected to buy groceries, uh, make meals that are cheaper, like pasta and rice, and focus on those things. Uh, because they give you a energy and b they are a lot cheaper than trying to buy steak or you know organic chicken breast. I mean, this may not be the time or place that you can afford those things. Maybe later on when you get that fantastic education and you go on to make you know those those those, those big bucks, you can afford whatever you like. But living as a student, you should really be frugal. I mean, that's what student living is. It's about studying. It's about saving as much money as possible. And if you are unfortunate, uh, not unfortunate, but if you are a for some reason, going to University of Toronto and you're really struggling, try to get that part-time job to sort of just make a few extra bucks on the weekends or over after class. Robina Ahmed Haq is 640 Toronto's personal finance expert. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Alan. I will relay a quick story about when I was in school going to Ryerson, struggling student, and this is not what you do. And my father impressed upon me that I could not spend a dime. So I was, I was clamped down. And here's what I survived on for several weeks when it got thin. Up the street there, I was living in Cabbage Town. Up the street there was a really super sketchy donut store. And at about 2 a.m., they'd put out the day olds. And man, I'd swoop in there. I'd say for like a buck fifty, I'd get like a dozen hard as rock donuts, and I had a microwave, and so you just nuke them, and then they're fresh for maybe about forty seconds, and you got to whoop them back, and that, and a little Kool Aid, and that was my diet: day old donuts and Kool Aid, people. Students, if you're out there, do not do as I do. It can be a tough road to hoe.